Hello, and welcome to Mountain Talk. I'm your host, Rachel Geringer. In this episode, we're celebrating women's history in the mountains by featuring an oral history project that aims to document the stories and experiences of women in Letcher County, Kentucky. Nell Fields tells us about her motivation to record women's stories in her own community. And then we'll hear excerpts from two of the interviews she recorded in October 2018. The first with Carol Eisen and the second with Pat Yinger. I think the reason that the oral history is so important to me and getting the women's stories, the women's history is because history itself tends to always tell the stories of the events that take place and and generally it's it's about the movement and the and the men and rarely has history recorded the women behind the movements and the men and the families and the communities that where these things take place and I think a lot of the stories and a lot of the history that I watched take place over my years at Cowan with so many women in my community that do so much to make sure that their children and their families and their communities are moving forward, are finding better, healthier, safer, more loving places to be and live. And it's through the women. And when big historical things take place, there are always those women back there that is supporting the people that are doing it and many times it's the women that are pushing to make it happen and are making it happen especially now so it's really important to go back and look at the history of the women in our mountains and that and and record their stories and that's what I wanted to do yeah and why um why did you want to start with women in Cowan because that's the people that I know, and that's where I learned the significance of of uh, what it means to have good, strong, healthy women and and committed women uh, to a community. Because of my work at the Cowan Community Center and and with the Head Start programs and early uh, education and uh, <clears throat> the out of school time programming at Cowan, and all the women that's worked through those programs to the Cowan Community Center. That's how I became convinced of the significance of what we offer our community and how often that isn't recorded or or kept as part of our history. Yeah. So I thought we should do that. Yeah. I'm curious if there's like a couple women in your life personally that you'd want to just talk about as sort of as sort of women in Cowan who maybe aren't people you've done interviews with but who really um shaped your life I can well you know my mother of course would be a woman that I that really shaped my life and I and I didn't realize until years later when you look back on just how what kind of influence she really did have on my life and on other people's lives um especially the her commitment to caring for children in anybody's child and seeing people that were way past the age of being a child still as someone that she could help and care for and nurture. And it didn't have to be, a, a, you know, a blood relative. It was any young person in her life. And I think that that was uh, 
a big motivation for me and probably the inspiration for me to try to do the same kind of thing at Cowan while I was working there. And then when I think of the women on Cowan that I've worked with, like Carol Eisen and, and her daughter Valerie Horn and and uh, I, so many women that work through the Cowan Center there um, for children and for children programming and for other good nonprofit reasons of moving our community forward. It's hard to name them all. I'm... Um, when I think of my sisters and the work that they do, uh, to how much women really care about their neighbors and their friends and their family, and I see that so much in my sisters as uh, and in our community. Um, so it's really hard to pick one one person. Yeah, but. It's really anytime you stop, anytime I stop and uh, think back and reflect seriously on any one person in my community that I've uh, been privileged to know and learn to love, uh, I can find many reasons to say they uh, influence me. And there's just a lot of women there. Hmm. Yeah. Great. Um, Mary Lou Fields, I do have to say that. Okay. Because I, I would think probably that one of the first stories, when you ask one, one of the f- the first time that I thought about how important it would be to record a story of a woman, it was Mary Lou, just because I saw the unselfish dedication that she had to helping other people, including me. Um, nobody that lived around her or, or knew her didn't that couldn't see that in her. So I definitely would have to say, mention her name in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what else, anything else you think people should know about either maybe the interviews you've done so far, the interviews you're hoping to do? Well, I think what I would like to say is if there's women out there that would like to uh, record their story or if they know someone else who they know th- their story would be important to to have recorded, if they could contact me, yeah. um, contact the Cowan Center and leave messages for me or call me directly, um, my the Cowan number is 606-633-3187. Uh, you mostly get the answering machine there, but they will always get messages to me. And uh, my number, my home number, is 606-633-2858. And I would love to talk to anybody that wants to share their stories. That was Nell Fields describing the oral history project she launched last year to document and preserve stories of women in Letcher County, Kentucky. Next, we'll hear an excerpt from Nell's 2018 interview with Carol Eisen about her childhood on Cowan. Okay. Hi, my name is Carol Eisen. Um, I met my one of my favorite spots in the world, the Cowan Community Center. And when I'm here, most people know me as Carol Ann Ison. I don't really like that name myself. I, I dropped my Ann many years ago, but a lot of people here haven't, so I answer to it. But uh, I'm at Cowan, and this is where I call home. I have been here all of my life. So Carol, tell, tell us about your parents. 
your brothers and sisters and your cousins. Tell us about your family. Well, how much time do I get? (laughs) (laughs) They're pretty, uh, had a pretty big family. But starting with my parents, my parents were Grant and Jane Fields. Grant was uh, born here on Cowing and uh, grew up here. Unfortunately, I never got to know him because he was killed in a coal mining accident when I was three. And um, I just have a, just, I really don't have a good memory of him. But I hear that he was a, uh, he was a good dad to all of my other brothers and sisters, and they all have very good memories. And so what I know about him would be things they have told me about him. Mm-hmm. He uh, worked in the mines when he, naturally, when he was uh, fatally injured. Prior to that, he had been in Baltimore, Maryland. During the war years, he left here with several other men, my oldest brother and oldest sister and some more maybe a couple of cousins and went to Baltimore to find employment and they did find pretty good employment there and he stayed there a lot of years and he had just come back from Baltimore at the end of the war and the end of the depression which was in around 43 and um but he had gone into this little truck mines where he had gotten a job. And things had evidently started getting a little better for my family because they had already built a new house, the house that, that I grew up in and which still is there today. So he, things were getting a little bit better for them with his coming home and working in the mines. But he had been away for several years and sent what little money he could back to the family and kept us from starving. So there was my dad. My mother was a Miles. Her last name was Miles, and she was born here on Cowan also. She moved around a lot. My dad had been right here on Cowan all of his life, but my mother had gone to a lot of places. At one time, my mother was actually blind as a child, but sight came back to one eye. She only got to complete third grade, a third grade education, and um, she and my dad married when they were in their early twenties. They rode a horse from Cowling to Kings Creek to to uh, Felix Fields' house, where they got married. I believe on Christmas Day, and uh, that's all I know about it. But uh, they uh, uh, evidently had. Uh, pretty good life. They had nine children and uh, one baby died at six months and uh, the rest of of us lived other than a brother. The brother who was nearest my age died at the age of about 13. He passed away when he was in the eighth grade. I was in the sixth grade and he died from rheumatic fever. And then my other older brothers and sisters, they were all so much older than I was. I have, uh, at least since I've been an adult, I have formed the opinion, whether it's right or not, I don't know. Can't argue with any of them now because they're all gone. Mm -hmm. 
But I formed the opinion that uh, when I came along, they were tired babies. They had had all the babies they needed, and it wasn't much of a joy, I figure, when number nine came along and someone said, here's another baby to take care of. <laughs> but anyway, I survived, and they must not have been too bad on me. Can you remember, uh, talk a little bit about the kind of relationships you built in is it in a childhood with your family? With my family. Just things that you did together? And... Well, I remember that um, mealtime was always special. We all always sat down together at mealtime, and usually that was three times a day. Uh, we didn't have uh, big fancy, I mean, we didn't have big full meals, but my mom always had something on the table because we didn't do a lot of snacking. So we, there was some interaction among us when we sat down at the table. Sometimes it would be pleasant. Sometimes if someone had seen someone out doing something they shouldn't have been doing, occasionally that leaked out <laughs> at the table, and it wasn't pleasant. <laughs> but um, but we, we, I think we all looked forward to getting together. Now, my parents were rather stern. They uh, they didn't laugh a lot, and they didn't want us to laugh. And so you didn't dare laugh a big lot at the table. And if anybody got too tickled, they had to uh, stifle it. Because if you laugh too hard, you might have to just leave the table. <laughs> um, I know that uh, the brother who was the closest age to me, I wanted a better relationship with him. I wanted him to be my buddy because my sisters were all so much older than I. The next girl next to me was 13 years older so she didn't have a lot of time to play with me and do things and I wanted him to be that sister I guess mm -hmm. and he very strongly protested that. <laughs> so so we, uh, we were not always the best of friends but we, we tolerated each other and um, and I guess I had more of a relationship with him than the others. Um, I guess because I know a lot of your stories, I just think it would be good if you talked a little bit about your family after your dad passed and what it was like for gardening and providing for your family. Okay. Your family that, I guess, probably shaped the... Um, um, maybe it shaped personalities and the character of our family because after he did pass, there were still six children at home. And my mom had to take charge of the family and take charge she did. And no one ever questioned her in charge. I think today about how many problems people have with teenage boys trying to get them to do the work that needs to be done around the house. Well, all we had was work. That was how we lived. We, we lived to work. We had big gardens we tended. There were fields out on the hillside. Anywhere that my mom could hear of a vacant or an empty field that a corn patch could be planted, she sent my brothers there to check it out, and we tended it. 
And those boys were the ones who got up of the morning and took the mule and the plow and went to that field and plowed it for sowing and and all of that. And then when it was time to hoe, they, they saw that it got hoed. And then when it was time to harvest, they saw that it got harvested. Now my sisters, and there were two sisters at home. There were two girls at home besides me. And then there were three boys. But the youngest one, the one next to me, he was never very able to go, so it fell to my two older brothers to carry most of the load. But they never questioned my mother if she said, we're going to go tomorrow and, and plant the field of corn. They got up and got ready and they went. And Mary Lou and Helen usually went with them. And they saw all summer long, they took care of the fields and the gardens and made sure that everything was uh, was tended well. And then as the produce came in, my two older sisters and my mother, they were in charge of preserving it. I mean, they canned everything that could be thought of, everything but ragweeds they canned. And uh, we had a cellar full of canned foods at the end of the year. We had all of our dry, uh, potatoes. We had dried beans. We had dried apples. You know, all of the things that you could get from a garden. We had a cellar or a smokehouse full of it. Yeah. We raised our own hogs, our own chickens. We had our cow. We had... Um, Later in life, we raised a cow for a beef. We didn't at an early mm -hmm. age, but we later did. Mm -hmm. But it was work, and it was a division of work, and everyone knew their place. When I got big enough, I stayed home. Well, of course, I stayed home most of the time and helped my mom cook for the older children who would be out working. And you know, one of the things I've shared with you, Neil, is the fact that cooking those meals and taking them out to the older children when they were out in the fields working was a big chore because it was a big job to get the meal ready. A coal, I mean, a wood-burning cook stove, and I did have to carry the wood in to keep the fire burning. We would get that meal cooked usually right in the middle of the day, very hot time, pack it up, and uh, put it in a bucket, any lard buckets, anything we could find. She always made an extra big pound of bread, cornbread, that uh, she would take out of the oven, wrap it in a towel, put it under a feather bed, and that served as our evening supper. That would be for cornbread and milk when when they came in from work. But the main meal was during the day, so we would have to sometimes walk like straight up a mountain to get to the field where they worked. And we'd go set it down, and they would always have a big bucket of water from some nearby spring or well, and they sat down and thoroughly enjoyed their meal and, mm -hmm. and worked, I mean, ate well and rested and then right back to work. What's some of the... Foods that what would we take? take like for, yeah. What would we take? Well, of course, soup beans were a staple. It was mm -hmm. pretty often. We often did um, uh, macaroni and tomatoes, fried potatoes, the cornbread, um, fried bacon, because that was left yeah. from the uh, hog that we had killed, and then um, 
in the summer, of course it was summer then, um, fresh greens. We often mm -hmm. had mustard or turnip greens or some kind of green and um, green onions and basically those were about the same kind of foods. Sometimes I, I guess she probably made a cobbler sometimes mm -hmm. if she could find some fresh fruit or something. Mm -hmm. I'd like to know about how laundry day went. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's a memory I have repressed. <laughs> <laughs> it must have been good then. It was it good. was not good. <laughs> as often as I will I remember we always had a washing machine as long as I remember because she had already one of the things she did shortly after my dad got killed. She got, unexpectedly, this was a blessing to her, and if I can back up, I'll just mm -hmm. tell you, because it was a big letter day in their house. It was way down in the fall. It was hog killing time. Mm -hmm. And my dad had been raising two big hogs he was going to kill that fall. He had been really, really proud of them. And then, unfortunately, he was killed in October before it was time to butcher them. But anyway, this must have been late November or something, but it was uh, hog killing time, and my mom and all the bro the boys and everybody was out at the uh, around the creek, which was right below our house, and we lived at the head of the hall. And so we, we saw some men walking up towards us, and my mom said, Oh, Lord, what in the world now? What could be wrong now? She thought it was more she bad news. She thought it was more bad news. Mm -hmm. But anyway, these men got a little closer, and my mom realized that she knew them. And they said howdy to her, and she said hello, and how you doing, and everything. And they said, looks like some mighty fine hogs you've got there. And my mom said, well, they were really Grant's treasure. He was really proud of them, and he was looking forward to killing them. And they said, they said well, I think she went ahead and said, you know, it's still going to help us. We're going to get through the winter with this. And one of the men said, well, I think we've got something that will help you get through the winter too. And he happened to be from the United Mine Workers Health, the mm -hmm. union. Mm -hmm. And my dad had been a union member. And they said, we've got a check for you. Oh. And they had a check for her for $1,000. Wow. And my mom usually didn't cry, but she... She cried that day. But that check sort of made a turning point. It sort mm -hmm. of made us all real, made her realize, I think, that she was going to go ahead. And one of the first things she did was she went into Whitesburg to um, uh, look for her a washing machine. And she went into these stores, and most people wouldn't pay much attention to her because she didn't speak well, and of course she wouldn't have been dressed very well. In this one store, she was looking at all the washing machines, and they weren't paying that much attention. And finally they said, well, how are you going to pay for it? And she said, I'm going to pay cash. And I'm told that she got a little more respect, and she mm -hmm. got her washing machine, got it delivered, and had, yeah. had a good washer from then on. So, so wash day was better with the washing machine. Good. But I remember that she hung them out, and in the wintertime, 
had to hang them outside too, you know. And I can remember seeing things freezing into ice hanging there. So that was the wash day. But then when I became old enough throughout my teenage years, I did washing. And it meant I carried water from the creek up to a build in the summer up to a building outside the smokehouse. That's yeah, where we yeah. washed. He did that water and put it in the washing machine. And I don't know how in the world we got our clothes clean because we washed everything through one water. Cause, yeah. Yeah. But that was wash day, and I remember hanging them out and the, during the day and starching them. You starched bunches of things. Mm -hmm. And then in the evening when I would take them down, sprinkle them, roll them up, put them in a basket or something, and then the next day iron all day. Now, that was my job two days a week during my teenage years, and those were hard jobs. Mm -hmm. yes, so that were. was laundry. Mm -hmm. What do you remember about play, playing games or toys when you was a child? Okay. Um, in the hall where I lived, there were three girls who lived below me, and one of those is Velda. Yeah. who comes to the center and, <clears throat> and uh, works with us here. But those three girls, uh, every chance we could get, we would meet at one or the other house to play. Mm -hmm. We usually had a playhouse. At my house, it was in our coal house in the summer when we got the coal empty. Or it was under a, uh, some big pine trees. Now, that was one thing my older sister did do for me, my sister Mary Lou. And I loved it when she would help me make a playhouse because she could be so creative. And out under the pine trees, she would, we would pile, she'd help stack rocks and uh, stack rocks. And then she would put uh, sometimes little doilies or whatever she could find on it. And we used a little needle, little, I don't know what they were, from pine trees, those little balls. Mm -hmm. Somehow we used those for decoration and something. But Mary Lou helped me make playhouses. And so when my girlfriends would come, we would play in the playhouses in the summer. Um, we often went to a hill that was called the Ari Hill. Everybody in the community went to the Ari Hill. It's about, it was about eight or nine hundred yards uh, on that R hill we would go we and we just ran there it was a big grassy hill and it had a lot of trees under it it had um, a persimmon tree and it had um, it was just a beautiful tree but the main thing that I liked about the hill it had a great big rock and even when the when my girlfriends wouldn't go with me, when I got mad or sad or something, I went to that big rock, and I would just go there and see it, because it was a beautiful rock and, and a beautiful view from that rock. So playing on the R hill was a fun thing to do. Sometimes in the summer, we'd catch June bugs. And then the other thing that we enjoyed doing more than anything was playing jacks. Lord, how I love to play jacks, and we would play as long as one of us could play. And by living in the head of the hollow, I had to pass all of my girlfriend's houses as I went to the store. And I, so my mom would send me to the store to get some soda or to get some meal or something. You hurry back. 
Well, I would go, and if Velda was out in the yard playing, I'd stop and see what she was doing and spend a few minutes playing with Velda and then Jessie Faye on down the road, see what she was doing. And finally, I'd get to the store, but I did hurry back. <laughs> <laughs> so that was sort of what play was. So what kind of advice would you give a young woman growing up in our community? What, what would you like to tell them? Well, take advantage of every opportunity that is presented to you, if you can. Um, try to learn about opportunities. Learn what is available in the community and how that you could be a part of it. And give. Don't be afraid to give to the community and give to others. And you'll gain as much by giving as you will from receiving. And, um, and don't be afraid to ask for help. Go seek help if you need it. What do you think make mountain women strong women? Where's our strength coming from? Probably we have had to draw on our own personal resources many times. We, uh, we've had to find the strength ourselves to meet challenges and meet uh, um, adversity. And once we get through one uh, bad experience or one challenge and we have, uh, and we find that well, I did that on my own, and if I, if I, or I did it with the help of my friends, I can go on and do more. Um, I think that uh, makes makes us stronger. You're listening to Mountain Talk on WMMT. I'm your host, Rachel Geringer, and in this episode, we're celebrating women's history in the mountains by featuring an oral history project founded by Nell Fields, which aims to record stories of women in Letcher County, Kentucky. We just heard Carol Eisen talking about her childhood on Cowan, and for the remainder of this program, we'll hear Pat Yinger talking about her childhood in Pennsylvania and how she moved to Big Cowan in 1970 with her husband. So, uh, can you tell us your name? Yes, my name's Patricia Ann Yinger. And where you live, Pat? I currently live on Big Cowan on Asterfields Road, and I have been there since 1970. Well, tell me how you ended up coming to Letcher County in Asterfields Road. Um, <clears throat> we end up coming here due to my husband's occupation. And his uncle lived here and um, owned a, what was then called Jerry's Tire Service at the Pine Mountain Junction at that time. And um, his cousin was going in the service and uh, his uncle needed someone else. Mm -hmm. At that time, we were living in Niles, Illinois. <clears throat> and so we moved from Niles, Illinois to here. Um, it was May 1st of 1965, and we, um, 
lived over top of my husband's work there at the junction. And uh, one day, we, well, we met, we met some people with the Mennonite Central Committee. Uh, and the way we met them was they lived in a little house next to the First Baptist Church in town. And uh, she and I were doing laundry at the laundromat that is now the um, Dairy Queen. And we, uh, we were talking and found out that she's from the county, right across from the county where I'm originally from in Pennsylvania. She was from Lancaster County, and I was across the Susquehanna River in York County. So we had something in common there, and we, um, she left her laundry soap. And Richard happened to know uh, the vehicle that they were driving, and we were driving back to the house past the church, and lo and behold, there was that vehicle, and we stopped. And from then on, we were constant friends while they were here with the Mennonite Central Committee, which is a different story. But they, uh, one Thanksgiving, they didn't, they didn't go home, and I think this was in 69, and they came to our place for Thanksgiving dinner. And uh, her husband, they were Catherine and Glenn Yost, and her husband said, why don't we all go for a ride? We want to show you what kind of project we're doing out on Big Cowan. Okay, so that was fine. So we drove, they drove us out here, and we went past the house, and they were doing a project over in the bottom someplace. I'm, I'm not sure where, but anyway, we drove past there, and there was a for sale sign sitting right along the road, a homemade for sale sign. So somehow or another, we talked about it, contacted the people that had it, Ralph and Helen York, which is a sister to Granny Hazel and Carol Ann, and then they had some brothers and whatever. I don't know all their names. But anyway, um, Ralph uh, and Helen York sold us the house, and we bought it in... January 22nd of 1970, and we moved in it December the 19th because some people were already living in it, and we gave them a chance to find somewhere else. And uh, we spent our first uh, Christmas there December 25th of 1970. That's a nice story. Tell us about your childhood and where you're from originally. I am originally from York, Pennsylvania. My childhood was great, although um, I, I was born in 1941, and of course World War II was going on, and my father was probably about 19, maybe 18 or 19, and he was drafted into the service. He went in the Navy. So my childhood was spent mostly with my mother and my two grandmothers and um, I didn't have grandfathers they were already deceased so anyway we lived in an apartment <clears throat> and um, until I was about six years old and I went to the first grade uh, at an inner city school and I was in the minority uh, population there 
And so um, when my dad came home from the service, my uncle's house on Richland Avenue was, they were living in it, and my uncle wanted to move, so he sold it to my, my parents. And I started then the second part of my first grade at Hartley School. So anyway, I lived um, there all through my um, school years until I graduated. And the schools I went to was Hartley. That was one through six. Then I would walk a, a little over a mile and I went to junior high, which was seven, eight, and nine, and uh, walked there every day and walked back. And I did forget to mention that the Hartley School was only half a block away from my house, so that was a good thing. And then the high school I went to and graduated from was William Penn Senior High School in York in 1959. What are some of the games you played as a child? Can as, you remember any games? Oh yeah, we uh, we would tack a blanket up on the fence. It was a solid fence in mm -hmm. my yard that separated the houses. It, the house I lived in was a row house, and it was a three-story house. And they there was a wooden like wooden partitions between the first part of the yard. So we'd tack something up on there and then get a line, a clothesline and put up so we could stretch it out over and we'd play, play in a tent. Then um, many of the games we played were hopscotch and I'd get the, the little uh, heel oh, yeah. at the uh, cobbler shop about three blocks away from my house. I, we'd go, me and another girl go up there and, and he'd say, you can pick any out you want. And we'd go in there and get two or three and then when we'd lose them or whatever, we'd go back and get more. But we also played, um, we did jacks. And that we played, mostly played outside. And um, we played, um, Hmm. Jump rope. Mm -hmm. Never could do the double dutch, but I was good at the jumping. And uh, we we played. Um, the boys usually played marbles. If we if we were a mixture playing together, boys and girls, the boys usually played marbles. And uh, I don't I don't know whatever else they played. I I don't think it was much other than that. Um, we. Uh, We'd go to the school ground and play, you know, do a lot of running and whatever, and just sitting and talking. And those are just some of the tiddlywinks and, and uh, pickup sticks. We played that um, and some board games. There was always Monopoly to play, and that and lasted too long for me <laughs> and Parcheesi. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I had a pretty fun childhood. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. we... But I was never allowed to have a bicycle, and I was never allowed to have a sled. And the reason I couldn't have a sled is because the school, Hartley School where I went was on a top, and then it went, sloped down, and then it sloped down some more right to a busy street. And some child at one point in time slid out into the street and was hit. And so mom, nope, mom, dad said, nope, no sled, no bicycle. 
Did you have lots of siblings? I have no siblings. Oh. I am an only child. So yeah. you played with neighborhood kids all the yes. time. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, you told us about the, the schools you went, or the schools where you went to. Tell us something a little more about what you enjoyed about being in school, some of the things you enjoyed about being in school. I liked the boys, particularly. I did, at Hartley School, we had what they called a spring festival, and they we did a maypole dance, and I was always picked to do the maypole dance. That's a winding of, like, ribbons or thread, you know, cloth. And, you know, I enjoyed that. And we, um, I was in the French club, but can't speak a word of French. And I was in the ushers club, which we uh, did, um, we ushered performances. There was, uh, like they have now at Lecture Central, you know, an auditorium and stuff. We, our school had that. And, and uh, so I, I ushered at that, usher, would usher it football and basketball games and um, hmm. I had uh, I had received a hundred percent in my uh, accounting class which was my favorite thing math was not but accounting I I really enjoyed that and uh, so then um, I didn't tell you one of the schools I, I went to was the Votech up here. The, and that was what, in 68, I think they built that. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. But anyway, you were only allowed to attend classes three hours a day at that time. You couldn't go the whole day. And you had to have 1,500 hours. So I didn't get to graduate from it because we moved here on county. Yeah. But I had the accounting classes and... and uh, Secretarial, because the guidance counselor told me one time I'd never make a secretary. So, oh, I fooled her. <laughs> <laughs> what about family gatherings? You, were, you had a really close family. What was your family gathering? Um, our family gatherings were mostly, uh, the big ones were, you know, the holidays. Memorial Day and Labor Day. We'd go to parks and have picnics and that kind of thing. And... Um, we'd go up. Um, it was a place called Caledonia, but it was a lot of, uh, it was a woods and, and, and things, and which was different for us because in the city, you, you know, you don't have all that. And um, then on, usually on Saturday evenings, no, Friday evenings, everyone would come to our house because we had a 12-inch TV. And it would be my uncle and my and his wife, my cousins, and it would be anybody else that wanted to come. But usually, just uh, just some family came. But anyway, we all watched boxing on TV on Friday nights, and I mean, I got into it. I kind of liked it. But me and the and the kid, the, I was probably about 12 at the time. And me and the, I, I was the babysitter for the two younger, my two younger cousins, and we played a lot. And like we'd play house, I had a bunch of stuff, a cradle and a, 
I had a little thing that was a hutch and dishes and so that's the kind of stuff we played then. Then on Saturday nights they'd come back and the the adults would play um, penny ante, which is actually poker. But they played for pennies. They didn't, you know, on a big make or break deal. And then on Sunday evening they would we'd always have a lot of people for supper. I don't know how come it was at, at our house, but you know, so that was most of of my family stuff. What's your favorite Christmas memories from your childhood? Your childhood Christmas. One Christmas, I had the mumps, <laughs> and I have a picture of that, and uh, and I couldn't have been more nine, maybe. I'm I'm not sure. I don't think I have the age on the picture, but. I remember that, just feeling so bad, but wanted to open them presents so bad that it took over. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I was okay while I was opening presents. And um, then another Christmas, um, when they first brought out sprayed live white Christmas trees, they, uh, my mother said we had to have one. And uh, so, uh, my grandmother, my mother's mother, and mom and dad and me, we went out looking for a tree. Well, my dad always grumbled about whatever. If we went in a picky, picnic, he was grumbling. And if we went to get something, he was grumbling. Nothing, I, nothing ever went well for him. I don't know why. But my mom and grandma and me had the best of times. It was snowing. Uh, it had snowed, and then it was snowing again. And we found the perfect white Christmas tree. So we brought it to the house. My dad had, at that time, was working for Farker um, Metal. I don't know. But anyway, he made a stand to put the tree in. And it was had a metal bottom. And it had a round uh, metal thing that you could slip the tree trunk in. And then it had uh, bolts or what it, it wasn't screws, it was bolts. It three bolts that you could put in. Well, the thing was so heavy, but it worked. And, of course, my job was to keep the tree wet. So I would have to call in under the tree and keep it, put water in it every day. Well, my mother decorated in, what was that? Blue, a beautiful blue Christmas balls with an angel on the top and then some um, garland that, you know, corresponded with it. So that's, and then I think that was the Christmas that Richard brought me a pink sweater. <laughs> and, oh, I just loved that pink sweater. In fact, I have a picture with that, too. <laughs> okay. So tell us if about how you met your husband. Tell us your love story. <laughs> All your love stories. <laughs> All my love stories. Well, um, as I was going to um, high school, I was in the Girl Scouts. And, um, let's see, this was junior high. And um, when you went to junior high, several schools came together to, for that. And so um, I met a couple guys that, you know, I kind of liked them, and we'd go, like, you. there'd be a school dance, or there'd be this or that, you know, and, and, you know, they'd ask me to go, so I didn't have no problem going. And uh, one of them, his name was Johnny Loker, 
he asked me to go one evening for a a Sunday, which wasn't far from my house. There was a, a dairy, you know, thing. Then you could get ice cream and stuff. So we went and got that. Well, he said, you want to go steady? And I said, no. So <laughs> that was the end of that one. <laughs> then, uh, then there was one named Butch. And um, we got along pretty good for a couple of months. And then all of a sudden, I just didn't like him. And one evening he came over to the house, and my mom had made things for over the backs of our chairs. They were wooden wooden chairs, kind of square, and and whatever. And she had made covers for over the back. Well, he had worn a jacket, and uh, anyway, I said, you know, just go on, you know, with your your life. I'm not interested. And I said, I can tell you're not too interested either. So we'll just, you know, be a, be friends. Well, anyway. He left, parted, just friends, just fine. And he came, and one morning he came back. And I said, I thought I told you, you know, we'll just be friends. He said, well, I am your friend, but here's your mother's chair back. (laughs) It had been in his coat and he put it on. (laughs) So that was one. And then there was another guy that I liked pretty good. And... um, we dated for probably a couple of months, and and then at that time, Richard started, you know, coming coming around, and uh, I met him. What? I met met Richard, my Richard, through a friend, and uh, anyway. We were at our sit our our town York had a swimming pool. It was like a like the one here in Whitesburg, just a community pool. And every day, uh, my friend and I, Lois, would walk over to the swimming pool. We'd take a blanket. I don't. I never swam. Okay, so we we would go to the swimming pool in the summer every day. I had a pool pass, so. Every day, my friend and I would walk over there, and we'd take a blanket and some card. You know, we'd play rummy and stuff like that. Play, play some cards and sit around with the guys and whatever. And uh, this one particular day, um, Richard came with the one guy that I had been dating, Eddie, and uh, <coughs> we not. Girlfriend introduced us and and whatever, and uh, so we sat there and talked a long time. And I said, "Well, you know," uh, he he asked about you know my, where my house was and everything. And I said, "Well, um, I live on Richmond Avenue, one thirteen, right in the middle of the block. You can't miss it." And whatever, I said, "Would you like to come over?" Well, yeah, they they wanted to come over. I said, okay, you can, you know, just come over anytime you want to. I don't, I don't mind. And uh, anyway, the the day that they chose, the evening they chose to come over, I of course had been at the pool. So every evening I would wash out, you know, rinse out my my bathing suit and my, you know, towel. I had a towel too, and hang it on the back line. And my bathing suit was a yellow and 
white checked bathing suit. So they were looking for my house and they came down the back alley and saw my bathing suit. <laughs> and, and that's when I started my really good romance with my Richard. And we were married for 50, almost 57 years. Married in 1958. And of course he passed in 2016. But had a really wonderful, wonderful time. Good, good life. Okay. Um, tell us about your faith. What is your faith? Okay. <clears throat> Ever since I was born, I was uh, taken to the. I'll get it right now. Evangelical United Methodist Church in York, Pennsylvania. As an infant, I was taken there. I um, received Christ as my Savior when I was eight years old. I was in the church choir. I attended what they then called catechism classes, which were just teaching you about Jesus and, and that. And <clears throat> I've, I've been in, in many churches. I've been baptized several times, but was baptized as an infant. When uh, I was in uh, Illinois, I was a member of a church there in Deerfield. And of course, I, I joined their church by letter. And then <clears throat> when I come down here, I went to the making church up there in making that what was it where Dorcas and Cook were. Um, I don't know. It's right at the mouth of Pine Creek and Graham Creek. I, and and making Missionary Baptist, I think it was called. So I went there for quite a while, and then um, we moved out of here, and I didn't have transportation, so I didn't get to go a whole lot. But when I finally got my driver's license, and I think I was 49 then, um, I went to the Methodist Church in town and um, really enjoyed it and whatever. Well, had my daycare there. Well, when they said I had to move my daycare, I got, I just jumped up and stoved up and went over to the Baptist church because they were accepting me. So right now I'm a member of the Baptist, Whitesburg Baptist Church in town. But I've also been to the Presbyterian church and you know, I, I don't mind going to different churches because you know, wherever you go, you do hear something about about Christ, and that's the main thing. That's the main reason I go. Okay. What kind of advice would you give young women today? Well, I believe that honesty to yourself is important. I think... Um, the choices you make, you, you really need to consider your choices. And not that I've made all good choices because I, I haven't, you know. But if you can learn from choices that you make or, that aren't so good, that, that is good. And, you know, nobody's going to make a right choice all the time. I, it doesn't matter who you are. You're not going to make a good choice. But to me choice and and your um, um, 
<clears throat> in a choice, your responsibility is to be true to yourself and what you feel is right and what you feel is good, not what anybody else would, would tell you. And um, I think, too, in, in all um, relationships that you have or your, with your family, I think that you need to be yourself because your family and your friends will love you for yourself. You don't need to be like anybody else. You need to be true to yourself and to what you feel. I, I think those things and are, are important. And then when you have a family, you must put your family not ahead of God, but uh, as first. You know, Christ should be the first one and then your family. Mm -hmm. That's it for this episode of Mountain Talk, featuring an oral history project led by Nell Fields that aims to record stories of women in Letcher County, Kentucky. Music on this episode features Addie Graham performing a tune called Ida Red Went Up on the Old Hillside from her album Been a Long Time Traveling on Apple Shop's own June Apple Recordings. If you'd like to hear this or previous episodes of Mountain Talk again, you can find them on our website at wmmt.org or on SoundCloud and Stitcher. I've been your host, Rachel Geringer, and from all of us at WMMT, thanks for listening to Real People Radio. You think that's all right? This hand, this hand, I guess it almost had a stroke in it one time. I'm gone with a bomb.